heard somebody say, how could I have been so stupid? Right? You've used that statement before. How could I have been so dumb? So in the midst of our emotional responses, in the midst of our emotional decisions, we just make these irrational choices in life that we end up regretting and living in regret most of our life. And some of the worst decisions that we make always have an emotional response attached to them. You know, that relationship that we thought was going to be the greatest thing in the world. A month later, we're wondering what in the world we were thinking about. Now, all of your friends can see it, right? Your friends are looking at you going, you dating that guy? That's a mistake. I can see it coming a mile away. You can't see it because you're too emotionally involved. Right? You guys, you're looking at your, your, your friend, you're saying, that dude's getting mixed up with that girl. He's going to regret that. You can see it, but they certainly can't see it. These relationships that we get into, the decisions that we make, they all have an effect on our life. And whether we, you know, we, we're, we're so young and we're so invincible, right? You're so young and invincible. I'm not anymore. I've learned that. You're so young and invincible, you think no mistake that you make or no decision that you make can affect the course of your life. But I'm here to tell you that not only does it affect the course of your life, but the Bible tells a very potent story about that very issue that I want to share with you. See, what seemed like a promise often in our life ends up becoming a prison in our lives. We thought it was going to be something good, but it ended up being something that uh, we have regretted and we have to live with it the rest of our life. Now, Doc Brown, in that video clip, he said that, uh, excuse me, i got to try to get this set up. He, he said that we all make decisions in life that affect the course of our life, right? We all make decisions that affect the course of our lives. The infamous words of Doc Brown, and everybody here, the adults, the faculty, they're all included. It's not just about you. We all make decisions in life that affect the course of our life. And I just finished this series in the church, as um, Zach said, about this Back to the Future series. And there's this principle involved in this Back to the Future series. And that principle is this. There is a predictable quality. There's a predictable quality about the road we choose to follow. You can see it coming a mile away. And there's this predictable nature about what you do in life. And the road you choose to follow has only a certain outcome. In other words, if you want to get to Kansas City, you, you want to go to the east, you can't get to Kansas City going from the west. There's a, predictable, there's a predictable end to the course you choose and the road you choose to follow in life. And these principles, they affect our life whether we, we like them or not. It's kind of like gravity. Gravity is a principle. You can't see gravity, but you can see the effect of it. If I were to drop this every time it hit the floor, and that's a law. It's not something you create. It's just something that you live within the context of. And this principle is the same, that the road you travel has a predictable outcome. I talked over the last couple of weeks about this uh, idea. It's called a 1 in 60 rule in, in aviation. Anybody here looking to be a pilot, like to fly, want to be in an airplane? No? Well, I've been taking my pilot's license, and so I've had to learn this 1 in 60 rule. 1 in 60 rule says this. For every one degree, just one little degree that you're off, if you travel a mile one degree off, you're going to be about 5.2 uh, feet off your intended target. Not bad, you can step into that real simple, right? But the farther you go, the farther away you get from your intended target. And if you were to start in the middle of the Earth in the equator and you'd travel all the way around the equator and try to come back to the same spot, if you were just off one degree when you began, 
you'd be 500 miles off your intended target by the time you got to where you thought you were going. So we have intentions in life of doing the right things. We have intentions of making the right choices, but intentions don't predict your future. The direction that you are walking can predict your future. As parents, as a parent, I understand that. You know, I'd look at my kids and I'd, I'd go crazy. And, you know, some of the, the faculty here, or maybe Pastor Zach talks to you about things, and he says, you know, this isn't really a good idea, and he might freak out a little bit about some of the things you're doing. It's because he understands the principle that the road you're on is predictable to the outcome that you're going to receive in life. So all your parents said, hey, study hard, right? Because they understand if you don't, you don't get that good degree, you don't finish school, that your chances of success in life become less and less. As parents, we look at this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 33, and, and, and we live by this, right? It says, we don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. We know that when we watch our kids go, would you please not hang out with that person or we're going to move to a different country just so you can't be around them, right? Maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe you've heard your parents say that. We understand that's a principle. And so, again, most of the bad decisions we make in life flow out of these emotions in life. Two things typically happen when we function from our emotions. There's two things that happen. The first thing is this. We lose all sense of reason, right? We just, it just, we know it's probably not the direction we should be going, but no amount of rationale, even if our friends are saying, hey, don't do this, don't do this, you're going to regret this, don't go this way, you do it anyways, because you lose all sense of reason. It's just this singular focus, and it's really all that you can see. And the second thing that happens is you get really kind of over-the-top defensive. So if you have friends that are confronting you, saying, you know, they've been talking to you about these issues constantly, and you really get defensive every time the issue is brought up, you know, maybe that's something you should stop and pay attention to. Now, they may not know all the ins and outs and all the secrets, and they may not know every bit of detail, but if they care about you and they love you, and they're making these references, maybe it's something you should stop and think about. When I was... Uh, I was dean of boys in, in Jacksonville, or in Jackson, Kentucky, when I was going to seminary to get my master's degree. My wife and I were in a dorm, dean of boys. I had 14 boys underneath me. And those 14 boys were a handful because at that point, Oakdale Christian High School was a place for troubled teens. And so when I got a hold of them, they were, they were already in a difficult position. And so for that year, uh, we were working with these young men at uh, Oakdale Christian High School and I got in this confrontation with this, with this young guy at one point, and it got really heated. I started raising my voice. He was raising his voice. And what happened in the midst of that is my prince, the principal over the school kind of was gracious, waited till I was done, pulled me aside and said, hey, Steve, let me talk to you about something. He said, you realize that when you had this conflict with this individual, that they shifted their entire process of what was going on from what they did to a conflict with you? I said, wow, that's brilliant. It's the greatest parenting trip I, uh, uh, tip I ever had in life. That when I begin to have conflict with somebody, rather than that individual thinking about what they've done wrong, now it's a conflict between me and them. And their emotional response to that shifts their entire thought away from what they're doing. Right? Same thing happens to you. When you start fighting the person, you pay less attention to the issues at hand. And a conflict changes in your heart. Because our emotions really distract us from the real issues going on in life. 
Now, I want to tell you a story in Genesis chapter 25. If ever there is a great story about emotionally controlled responses and the inevitable outcome of what's going on, it's in Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this story. If you haven't, you're going to hear it for the first time. It's a great story. It's about two brothers by the name of Jacob and Esau. Ever heard that story before? Jacob and Esau. These guys were so different in their personalities, and yet they were twins. It wasn't that they were finishing each other's sentences. One was hunting the meat, the other one was eating the meat. I mean, these guys were diametrically opposed to one another. So I'm going to get into that scripture here. Genesis chapter 25. The boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Already we see a problem, right? Here's Esau. You know, he's the Conor McGregor, the Muhammad Ali, the Arnold Schwarzenegger of the ancient times. He was a man's man, hunter, killer, out finding the deer and feeding the family. He loved to be out in the open country. And then there's Jacob, the girly man of the family, right? He stayed home among the tents. He did what most women in that culture did, and he was content to stay there. And so you've got these brothers that couldn't be more different. And then you've got another problem. You've got some real dysfunction in the family because as we read on, we see Isaac, who had a taste for raw game. Guess who his favorite was? Esau. And Rebekah, well, she loved Jacob. So now you've got two brothers that are not only opposite from one another, but you've got Esau that knows that Jacob's a mama's boy and mom loves Jacob more than him. And then you've got Jacob that knows that dad loves Esau more than him. And so you've got this dysfunction going on in the family. In the center of this whole conversation is this thing called the birthright. The birthright's not something you guys are familiar with, but the birthright was really important in that culture because the firstborn son got that, that birthright. There are three things that are important in that birthright. Number one is this. Uh, when dad died... The oldest son got a double portion. So if there were six, six boys in the family, that first boy got twice as much as anybody else in the entire family. He became the wealthiest person to carry on the legacy of his family. The second thing is this. When dad died, he had final authority. It wasn't the authority that got passed on to mom when dad died. That oldest son became the authority figure in the home. And when decisions were made for the family, he made the decisions. And the third thing, we don't really understand a lot, but it was really, really important, and maybe some of you have never received this type of a thing from your parent, but the blessing. That blessing from dad to the firstborn was just something that that firstborn son was waiting for. The blessing of power, the blessing of authority, the blessing of uh, being prosperous, the blessing that they're going to receive. You know, dad would give them the blessing, and everybody knew it. And, you know, the other sons, they could get a blessing, but it was never going to be quite like the blessing for the firstborn. So that's kind of at the center. And Jacob wanted what Esau had. He was jealous. He wanted what Esau had. The scripture says, so once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. I'm starving. I'm dying. I don't know. He's kind of being a little overdramatic here, I think. He obviously walked in on his own two feet, as you're going to see a little bit later. He says, I'm dying. I'm dying. Give me some food. Well, Jacob saw his chance. Now, I don't, how many, how many uh, firstborn in here? Firstborn? 
How many second born or after that, right? Ba- yeah, you know what I'm talking I'm the babe of the family. My older sister got everything. Yeah, my older sister got the best car. She always got the, I got the hand-me-downs. Of course, I didn't get my sister's hand-me-downs, but they couldn't afford anything after they spent it on my sister, right? She got to stay out later. She had the coolest friends. Anytime I needed anything, I had to call up my sister because my parents were working. Hey, can you give me a ride? Can I go here? Can I do that? It's all about my sister, my sister, my sister. Every once in a while, I held all the cards. And boy, did I love that. (laughs) Every once in a while, it was all about me, especially when my big sister needed something from me. And I was like, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. What do you want? I want your car. Not going to happen. Well, you know, I had to start with something big. Well, Jacob was the same way. Here's what's going on. And, and this wasn't just something that kind of popped into Jacob's mind. Jacob had been thinking about this for a long, long time. I believe that because when you receive his response, it was just he was quick to say, hey, I know exactly what I want. Here's what's going to happen. Right? His older brother comes in. He says, I'm famous. Give me some stew. He may even set this up thinking, you know, he's probably not going to have any luck. The weather's been bad. Things haven't been good. I haven't seen any game around. I'm going to cook some stew. So when Big Bro comes in, I'm going to get something from him this time. So Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Let me ask you guys a question. Who in their right mind is going to sell wealth, and power and a blessing for a bowl of stew that's going to last for about two hours and he's ready to eat again. Who in a right mind would even consider that to be plausible? You know what the answer to that question is? Some of you do. Some of you are. I have. There are some of you that are making decisions in life right now to sell your legacy for a simple bowl of stew a simple bowl of soup that will last you just for a small portion of time, and then you're going to be searching for something new again. You allow your emotions and your appetites in life to drive the decisions that you make, and in doing so, you have no idea the future that you forfeit. Who in the right mind would change a bowl of stew or trade a bowl of stew for a birthright, some of you are doing it right now. Some of your parents have done it. Some of your parents traded that that next pill or that next bottle or that next sexual encounter or that next relationship and whatever that looked like for a relationship with you. And you're walking around realizing that something that you lost from your parents is something you'll never be able to regain. Well, you may start to have a relationship with your parents now. But something was lost. Something that you'll never be able to get back. Some of you are recipients of parents who have exchanged a legacy and a relationship with you for their next bowl of stew. So Jacob says to Esau, first show me your birthright. And Esau says, hey, look, I'm about to die. (laughs) I've heard my kids say that. Dad, I'm going to die if I don't get the iPhone 13. Dad, I'm going to die without the new PlayStation 5. Got to have it. Oh, I'd like to see that. I'm waiting. (laughs) Haven't seen it happen yet. Must not be true, right? We get, if ever there was an emotional response from somebody who wanted something because he just didn't have patience to wait, it was Esau. Hey, I'm about to die. Give me a birthright. I'm about to die. 
His appetite for that soup was so out of control that he, remember, he lost all sense of reason. And he got defensive. I'm about to die. Don't you care? Give me some soup. I'm going to give you three little secrets that I hope you take with you today about appetites that get out of control. If you've got a piece of paper, I'd, I'd encourage you to write these down and think about these things, maybe talk about them a little bit later. The first is this. You will always have an appetite for something. Now, when I talk about appetite, I'm not talking about food or donuts. Man, those donuts look really good. It's too bad I'm on a diet right now. I might have joined you eating a couple of those, all right? We all have appetites. We might think about food, but listen, there are more than just food for appetites. There's, there's appetite for fame. There's appetites for power. There's appetite for beauty and authority and popularity. There's appetites to be loved. There's appetite to win, win, win. Those appetites aren't necessarily bad. They're, they're things that drive us. I, I'm, a, I'm a very goal-driven person. There's very little things that God puts in front of me or things that I don't want to do that I don't accomplish. I've just, I, I'm, I'm a very driven person, which is good and bad. Because part of the bad part of being a goal-driven man is I get so focused in on my goal-driven task, I have a tendency to walk over people to accomplish what I want. I've had to learn how to control that urge and that appetite to reach a task or to accomplish a goal in my life. So appetites aren't bad. They're just broken. They're broken. They're twisted. Satan takes something that's so good. Hey, appetites for relationship, that's a good thing. An appetite for relationships out of control, that's a bad thing. Appetites are always going to be a part of us. They're God-given. The second thing is this. My appetites will never be fully satisfied. I want you guys to say that with me, right? My appetite will never be fully satisfied. Say it again. My appetite will never be fully satisfied. Now, we know that, right? You all go to Thanksgiving, go home for Thanksgiving, Christmas. We sit down and we eat this big meal, and we're all sitting around the table gorging ourselves. We're going, oh, I can't eat another bite. Want to bet? If you're like my grandson, give it about 30 minutes, he's raiding the refrigerator saying, where's the pumpkin pie? Where's the pecan pie? I'm starving. Isn't there any food around the house? It's the nature of an appetite that it's never going to be fully satisfied. You're always going to be hungry for something more. And the big lie that you are going to be, or Satan's going to whisper in your ear to believe is this. There is something out there, there's someone out there, that if I just get it, if I just have it, I'm finally going to be fully satisfied in life. It's not going to happen. It'll never happen. The appetites are going to be with you always, but if you believe the lie that I'm finally going to find something, I'm finally going to get that boyfriend or that girlfriend, I'm finally going to be in that relationship, I'm finally going to get that car I wanted, finally going to live in that town, I'm going to get that diploma, and, and it's going to satisfy me, you'll find out that it doesn't. It seems like the more you have in life, the more you want. Never fully satisfied. The third thing about uh, appetites is this. Appetites always whisper, now, never later. Got to have it now. Got to have it now. It's my money and I want it now. You've seen that commercial on TV, right? That's the nature of our appetites. We have very little discipline to wait for something that's good. We just got to have it right now. And that's the nature of an appetite. It's always whispering in your ear. you got to have it. You may never have another opportunity. This may pass you by. Oh, that's just the right person. you just you got to jump at the opportunity. 
I think our culture preaches that all the time. And then we lose all common sense. And before we know it, we live in the land of regrets, thinking, what was I thinking? Thought I had to have it now. Boy, was that a mistake. So the, the, the story continues. Esau says to his brother, what good is my birthright to me? Are you serious, Esau? What good is my birthright? I think his, I think his IQ dropped more than 50% there. Oh, it gives my birthday. You know, that's way in the future. You know, it's not affecting me right now. As long as it doesn't affect me right now, what difference does it make? So go ahead, just give me that bowl of stew and you can have my birthright. Jacob says, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling him his birthright. Here's where I wish I could, I could really live out the back to the future. I, I wish that I could jump in a DeLorean punch in the numbers, and go back with Esau at this particular moment in his life. Because I would grab Esau and say to Esau, hey, Esau, stop. Don't do this. You have no idea what you're giving up in the future. You know, Esau, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, you're going to give birth to the 12 tribes of Israel, and the entire nation is going to grow from your lineage. Esau, don't do this. And Esau, those 12 tribes, well, they're going to be taken into captivity, but out of your lineage is going to come one of the greatest leaders that Israel has ever known, Moses. And Moses is going to be the deliverer. And Moses is going to deliver them out of captivity. He's going to get to meet with God on Mount Sinai in a burning bush. Esau, don't do this. See, our advantage is we can see the story in hindsight. We've read it thousands of years later. You're living it out, they're living it out, and often when we're in the heat of the moment living out these poor decisions, we can't see it. We wish somebody would get in a DeLorean and say, hey, stop doing this. Esau, Esau, don't do this. The parting of the Red Sea, getting manna from heaven, that's all going to be part of your story, Esau. And Esau, listen, if you don't do this, the greatest king Israel has ever known King David is going to come from your lineage. And when people say, well, you serve a God, what God? They're going to say forever, all throughout history, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Esau, don't do this. Because eventually, from your lineage, will come the Savior of the world. If you don't sell your birthright for a simple bowl of stew, Yahweh is not known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. He's known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He sold his legacy for a bowl of stew that didn't satisfy. We all make decisions that affect the course of our lives. And oh, how I wish that I could go back and make some corrections in my life. But I can't. And I have to live with it for the rest of my life. Here's a question I want you to wrestle with. Here's a question I think is so important. Do you really want to trade your future for a temporary fleeting bowl of lentil stew? Do you really? Is it really that important? You have no idea what God wants to do through your life. 
You have no idea the legacy he wants to bring out of your life and the impact that you can have. Lord knows we need young leaders like you all the time. We need young adults to come correct us old farts that don't know what we're doing half the time anymore, right? We need you guys. You have no idea what God wants to do through your life. Are you willing to sacrifice that for a bowl of stew that'll last you about an hour? That's about it. And you're hungry again. So you may have the intention to do right things in life, but the, the, your intentions don't determine your destination. Your direction determines your destination. And the direction that you're headed in life right now will determine where you're going to end up. I mean, I know that's probably not popular, but it's, it's the truth. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. So here's this whole conversation. It happens. Give me your birthright. Jacob says, sell me your birthright. Esau says, what good is that to me? Notice what happens here, because we do this as well. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate, he drank, he got up and left, and Esau despised his birthright. When you make dumb mistakes in your life, I mean, it seems like a good idea to begin with, and about 10 seconds after you're doing it, you're going, that was really dumb. And he began to despise the very thing that could have been his legacy for all of history. We do the same thing in our lives. He ate, he drank, he left, and so did his, his birthright, so did his legacy. He's thinking, okay, great. If I give my life to Jesus, is that going to fix everything today? Let me tell you something. Jesus is not in the fix-it-now, rapid, microwave mentality that we are. Jesus is not a genie in the bottle that you rob and you get three wishes and poof, all of your problems go away. I don't see that anywhere in the scripture. Jesus' invitation to you is not to fix all your problems instantaneously when he, you say yes to him. Jesus' invitation to you is to walk a different path than you're walking. He says, hey, I know this is the path you're on. There's an inevitable outcome to this path. I want to invite you to walk with me on the path. Let me walk with you on that path. Let me walk with you. Let me show you that there is a different way. You're saying, well, I'm not sure I need that way. Well, how's that working out for you? What does that direction of life look like for you right now? And, and when you say yes to Jesus... Right? You think, well, maybe all that tension and those appetites go away. Well, here's the truth. That tension will never go away. Maybe when I'm 30 or I'm 40, maybe when I'm 50, maybe when I get married, it'll go away when you die. That's about it. Because as long as you live on this earth in this fallen world that we have, you're going to live with the tension of, of, of doing things that you shouldn't do. And until death, until death, every single day of your life, you will be tempted to shift your path by seemingly small, one-degree-off-the-course decisions in life. Temptation's always going to be there. So how do I address this tension? How do I address the tension in my life? You know the, the bracelets they had, uh, what would Jesus do on them? I wish somebody would make uh, one of those bracelets like this. It should say this, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? What is really at stake here? And every time you think about making a bad decision, just snap yourself on the wrist with that thing. What's really at stake? This, this thing that I just got to have and I'm losing all reason and I'm so focused on it, if I go in this direction, what's really at stake here? 
what, somebody might not like me for five minutes or ten minutes or somebody may say something bad or gossip about me? What's really at stake here? What am I willing to give up for something that I know isn't going to satisfy me in any way, shape, or form? The question is this. Have you become so enamored with someone or something on your path that you've lost sight of where that path is taking you? It's a really powerful story about two brothers. And that story all focuses in on being emotionally driven and the, the choices that we make. And they both suffered the consequences, right? Jacob, you know, we see that Esau gave up his birthright and his legacy, but Jacob had to leave his family. He was so scared of what had happened, he got up and he left for over a decade and escaped from his brother because he thought his brother was going to kill him. They both paid a huge price for the choices that they made. The invitation to you today is the same invitation that Jesus gives constantly. It's an invitation to walk a different path. That's the invitation he gives to you. Listen, here's, here's the truth about an appetite. You will either control it or it will control you. There's no other way to look at it. That appetite in your life, that emotion, they'll either control you or you control it. You get to make that decision which path you take. The invitation that Jesus offers you all is this. It's the invitation to walk a different path. And I'm going to tell you, it's a, it's a great invitation. It's a wonderful invitation. Let's pray this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, I promise. But listen, uh, I pray for people constantly. If there's just things going on in your heart, a path that you're on, and you're thinking, man, I just need to talk to somebody, just, just put your hand up quick, put it down. I don't need to see it for long. It doesn't make much difference. Look me up. Have a conversation with me. Thank you. Appreciate your honesty. That's tough. Lord, I thank you for this group. I know they're tired of hearing some guys speak up here for the last 30 minutes. I know that they've got other things they'd like to be doing, but I just pray that you would impress upon their hearts and minds that this is, this is the beginning of life in a life anew, and the invitation to them is a real invitation to walk a different path than they're walking. And I pray that you would help them to think throughout the day about the appetites that they have for things that really are so fleeting and so temporary in life. And I pray, Lord, that you would impress upon their hearts that there's something greater in store, that there's something greater at stake, that, God, you choose and you want to use them and you've got a legacy for them, that they just simply won't trade it for a bowl of soup and get up and despise and walk away. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to share your word with this group this morning. In your precious name, amen.